Yeah, I think I think we need a different set of metrics. Um, God sets the pace, not me. And the pace here is is slow. I think the pace in you know our very secular Western society is slow at this point. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think slow is more the way of Jesus. Um, anyhow, I mean, when I when I look at his life and ministry, uh, I see slow. I see small numbers, and I see him being being just highly focused on on, on a small group of poor people. Welcome to Discipleship Conversations, a Mission Alive podcast with Jeremy Hoover and Stephen Carazel. Welcome to Discipleship Conversations. I'm Stephen Carazel. I'm here with Jeremy Hoover, uh, my co-host. We are talking today with Blake Birchfield of uh, the Dakota Peace Initiative uh, in South Dakota. He is a church planter, uh, and he and his family, uh, Katie, his wife, uh, are church planters in maybe a a loose thinking of the word, of the term, uh, because they are starting very differently uh, than many of our church planters have done. I, what stood out to me, Jeremy, in this first part of the conversation that we had with Blake is his statement of, I'm here to make disciples. He's in a very different context of, of our North American uh, culture uh, with Native Americans, uh, just not like our Western Americans in many ways that's difficult, but in many ways there's some advantages in that. And so his heart, I'm will, I'm here to make disciples, and that's anybody willing to do anything that Jesus calls them to do, even die for Jesus. Uh, that's that's an intensity at the very beginning, and uh, that really stuck out to me as I carried that through, kind of in the background of the rest of the things that, that Blake talked about in this uh, first part of the conversation. How about you? What did you hear? Yeah, I I heard the same thing with that, and I loved the simplicity of how he brought that out and said that. The one thing that really stood out to me, though, was the way he talked about hearing God's call to go into missions. But then he said something like it took more than a decade for him to find clarity in what that call was. And I really appreciated listening to his story of how and he didn't use these words, but his story of how he was patient and determined to see that call through. He didn't rush things. He knew that God was calling him into something and he waited and listened for God to make clear what it was he was calling him into. 
And then once that became clear to both him and Katie, man, they got after it right away. So I, I appreciate Blake so much as a friend and knowing what his, his story is. And I think in his story, he gives us a great example of what it means for a person to listen to God and then act upon what they hear God saying. And he's out there in South Dakota trying to be obedient, trying to grow as a disciple and trying to make other disciples. And so this is a just a really, really good interview. And without belaboring the point, let's go ahead and get into the interview. We're talking today to Blake Birchfield. Blake is a church planter in South Dakota. He's going to have a great story to share with us about what he's doing out there. Blake, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are, what your family is like, uh, what kinds of things you guys like to do. Okay. Yeah. Blake Birchfield. Uh, my wife is Katie and we have four children, Micah, Rose, Lauren, and Kaylin. Uh, all of my kids are in school, spread out between uh, elementary and middle school, all, all the way up to uh, 10th grade and high school. So we live in Hot Springs, South Dakota. And um, gosh, we all kind of come from different places, I think, for the most part. Um, Katie's a, a Minnesotan. I'm a Texan. Two of our kids are adopted in Haiti, uh, from Haiti, and um, but here we are in South Dakota now doing a church plant among the Lakota people. So um, just kind of following God's call to come here. Um, things that we like to do, you know, fortunately we live in the Black Hills. We like to be outdoors. And this is a great place to do that. So, um, gosh, I'm going to make us sound like a really super adventurous uh, family. We're, we're not. Uh, we're, we're, my son and I are trying to get into rock climbing. Um, he's pretty good at that kind of stuff. And so that's a good fit for him. Uh, we like to fish. We like to camp. We've got a little pop-up camper. And um we like to travel. We just like to be with family. So uh, often in the summers, we're on the road and going around visiting people in Texas and back in Minnesota. And so, yeah, so that's that's a little bit about us. Seems like forever ago, but uh, just about two years ago, my family was able to be out with you guys out there in South Dakota. And uh, it was definitely a little bit of jealousy on my part as we surveyed the surroundings and got to see where, where you guys live and, and the Black Hills a little bit there. It was really nice. Yeah, Steve, I, I felt a tinge of guilt about did you? Yeah, live it, living here. I, it was like, oh, gosh, I hope my supporters and stuff don't hear about this, you know, but I didn't pick the place. So True, true. Yeah. Yeah, Stephen and I were talking a little bit before you joined the call just about the uniqueness of your church plant and what you're trying to do. Could you go ahead and just briefly talk about what your purpose is and what you're trying to accomplish with your church plant? Um, yeah, unique is a good word for it. Um, 
I'm here to make disciples. Uh, I'm, I'm here to develop really committed, uh, solid followers of Jesus, people that will do anything that Jesus calls them to do, uh, even die for him. Um, we say we're church planters. I, I say that to help other people kind of wrap their minds around what we're doing here. But after two years of being here, I, I don't know if the people uh, that God has called us to work with and serve, I, I don't know if they'd ever come to a traditional brick and mortar church. So, but what's most important obviously is that you make disciples, that you be obedient to that call, um, the great commission and you follow through and execute on that. So that's, that's really what we're trying to do more than anything else. Yeah. I love that. That cultural insight that you're, that you're gathering about being able to make disciples outside of a traditional church context as you, as you think about being, you talked about being called to serve these particular uh, people. When you think about your journey towards church planting, can you talk a little bit about that and also explain how listening to God played a role in that? Yeah, I, I graduated college, um, in 2004, and and my plan was to use my my degree to join the Marines, and uh, and go to officer candidate school. And I wanted to do that. And I knew that that was quite a commitment to make, and uh, was willing to apply for OCS and and go through that process and everything like that. Um, I really wanted to do that, but I also kind of felt like I. I didn't have really any other options. I, I'd had a lot of experience doing small uh, or short, short-term missions throughout college and, and high school. I really wanted to do that, but I just didn't feel called or equipped to do that. And no, nobody was beating down my door and asking me to come out on the mission field. So, and then furthermore, I didn't, I didn't see myself fitting into the role of like a, a church planter, uh, a pastor, or, or something like that. I, I saw myself doing something else, but I couldn't, I, I didn't really know what that was, but there was a desire to do mission work. So I applied for officer candidate school, but in the process, I ended up going to a, a church in Dallas and the young adults, singles minister there said, Hey man, why don't you go to Haiti? And so I went, you know, and, and he said, let's just, you know, while you're waiting to get into the Marines, why don't, why don't you go to Haiti and just, and just volunteer down there? You know, you've been to Haiti before you, it, it could be a good thing. And I said, yeah, sure. I, that sounded good. You know? So I, I went and, and then I never came back. I, um, basically I met my wife there and I, I withdrew my application from the Marines and, and, um, and then uh, got married very quickly. And, and we ran, my wife and I helped run an orphanage um, in Haiti in a small village. Uh, on the north coast so um and we were there for for four years 
three, three and a half, four years, something like that together. And that's, that's where we adopted our, our first two kids. So, um, but I came back burned out, you know, we finished up our adoption. We had to come back to this, the, the States. Um, and I was really burned out I was, I was still wanted to be involved in missions, but I thought, no, nah, I just, I think I just want to work a secular job, make money and I'll just support missions financially and that'll be my life. And so, um, and, and so, but it wasn't very long uh, after we were back in the States, maybe, maybe two years after we'd been back, um, that I was just kind of, I, I, things were going okay with my work. And um, I felt like I was on a good track career wise. I, I got into lawn care um, and I had my own company, uh, but I still kind of felt lost. And, and so I went to our missions minister at our church, the Hills Church in, in Fort Worth, Texas. And, and, um, just looking for some, I don't know, some advice or something, you know, um, and he gave me a book, um, David Garrison's book, church planting movements. And, um, I went home and I read it and I couldn't put it down. And, uh, and that book kind of changed, um, the way that I thought about, church planting and missions and my role in it. Um, I, I suddenly realized like, Hey, this is really what it's all about. Like making disciples and, and, uh, and that I can do that. And God wants me to do that and, and be a part of that work. And, and so from that moment on, I really desired to go back out onto the the mission field and and start start doing this kind of stuff right whereas like previously in in Haiti I hadn't done any sort of discipleship disciple making anything like ministry nothing like that I really just did humanitarian work and so I wanted to go back and and make disciples out on the foreign mission field and so I waited and I, I prayed and I waited for God to call us and um, that call never came obviously it eventually came but i mean 10 years would roll by where i got i just got nothing from god uh, in regards to a call back out onto the mission field and uh, and it was really really difficult it required a lot of patience uh, i don't think i expressed a lot of patience uh for the most part but but i, I tried I, I tried to get involved in other things i was a jail chaplain for about four years there. Um, in that time, uh, we reached out to our neighbors in our neighborhood and um, got got involved in the church and different different um, aspects and stuff like that. Like the prayer ministry at church, we were involved in that. And so, um, but uh, I, I was waiting for God to call me to do something else, and and it was a long, long wait. So. Um, to answer your, the part of your question about listening to God, um, boy, I tried and I failed at that. Um, I think I, I misheard God several times along the way. Um, uh, the one thing that I learned about listening to God during that, during that time was that peace, like a deep inner peace really is, I think, the biggest indicator as to um, whether or not you've heard God's voice. 
on something. So, um, and when I didn't have peace, then I wouldn't move forward. And, um, and when I did have peace, then, then I would. Um, but when it finally came time and God did call us or begin to call us out onto the mission field, uh, he, he really made it pretty clear. I didn't, I didn't really have to wonder. And, um, and I needed that. I needed a real clear calling, I think, before coming here to this place, as this place is, is pretty difficult. Blake, I appreciate the, the, the idea of this deep inner peace being as an indicator. It's, it, you know, I think for a lot of people have a, a difficult time knowing that I hear God's voice or is I hear something else. Uh, and maybe that's helpful for some people to understand this, where it sits, where that confirmation sits rather than something we'd want to hear. Yeah. Uh, so you kind of just kind of emphasizing, not just in a piece or an inner piece, but a deep inner piece. It's like really pushing that really low, really deep inside of us. How did you and Katie process that together you've kind of talked about just you know the waiting time and then feeling very clear on your call how did y'all process that together uh, the waiting and the clarity of the call yeah so so katie shared the same desire that that i had to go back out on the mission field and, and make make disciples that was really where her heart was too um, and then we, we were always talking about it and, um, and then the other people and stuff like that, that God put into our lives, um, you know, we, we were both talking to those people. Um, we were both praying the same things. So we were very much on the same page. Um, and then Katie felt the same way that I did, like, like, I, I felt like, man, I, if we're going to do this, knowing that it'll be really hard to move the family to someplace that we don't, you know, is not familiar and get settled in there and, and do church planting. Um, you know, I need, need a real clear calling from God. And, and Katie, Katie always said that, like, I, I need to hear God. I need to hear from you, too. Like, you need to make it crystal clear here for me um, as well. So. Did that come together? Did you feel like you got it at the same time or how did you process your clarity with her clarity uh, in receiving that call? Yeah, it definitely came together at the same time. So um, we, we started, I guess, maybe three or four years ago, we, we started to really feel God move and, and, um, and kind of stirring us um, a, a desire to, to, to reach out and to look into church planting in the United States. We, we didn't want, we really didn't want to be doing um, church planting in the U.S. I, I mean, for the most part, like we wanted to go back out to um, somewhere in the Caribbean or in Africa uh, and work with, with an African culture, with, within an Af African culture. So um, overseas. And um and so, but, but we kind of, 
like we finally kind of came to the point where, where we were like, okay, you know what? I'll go, I'll go anywhere. I'll go to uh, middle of, you know, the U S you know, like small town, rural America, whatever, you know, like it, it doesn't matter. God, we submit, we'll do anything you want us to do. And then after that point, we got, after we got to that point, um, three or four years ago, God, God started to kind of move in our, in our lives and felt us kind of compelled to, to reach out to someone. So I reached out to Charles Kaiser at Mission Alive to talk about church planning in, in North America and the U.S. And um, that that really got the ball rolling and not not just with with Mission Alive, but also just just in terms of our, our calling. So we were. We really felt the Lord moving and wanting to to speak to us, and um, so we started just talking, talking to to people that we knew and and trusted. Uh, one of those people would have been uh, my brother-in-law, and real strong believer. And uh, I met with him at a family reunion in Minnesota, and. Like I said, like three years ago or something like that. And I was telling him where we were at. And he said, well, why don't you just pray that God would send you a prophet <laughs> to, to tell you what his will is? And I said, well, OK, well, that's that's a little bit outside of my, my wheelhouse. I, you know, but but I'll do that. Why not? You know, I'll pray that prayer. And I started praying that prayer and then not not maybe a Two months later, um, I went, I was invited to a Bible study or a, a prayer meeting. I'm sorry, a prayer meeting um, near where we lived in, in Fort Worth. And um, I, I was approached by a woman who said, look, I, I think the Lord has something he wants to say to you. And I would like to visit with you and your whole family. And so we set that up and this woman plus another couple came over to our house. We didn't know these people um, or, or anything really. And, and, and so they came over to our house. We just, we just knew, we knew people that knew them. And so there was, there was some trust there, but anyways, but we didn't know them. They didn't know us. So they came over to our house one evening for a time of prayer and, and they prophesied over us. And um, so and, and through that, that was really where we received our call to go back out onto the mission field, but, but, but here in the U.S. And, uh, and specifically to work with Native Americans. And, um, and so that was something that we experienced as a family and not, not just my wife and I, but my kids, my kids were there and were present for the whole thing. So... How did they soak that in? Um, they they probably didn't. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I think it was a bit a bit over their heads. But um, but of course, you know, now we can we can share that story with them, and we can talk about that, and and we can say, see um, see how God was working, see how God was moving, and and here we are now, and and we can be certain that even though it's hard this is where uh, God wants us to be. So how did uh, they process the idea of moving and changing locations and 
going somewhere very different. Um, it's been difficult for them. So they're still processing that. They had a lot of good friendships back in Texas and, and, um, all they really knew was the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, you know, which is just this huge area. Everything's big, right? Um, everything's big. Everything's a big production. Um, everything's new. Um, everything's over the top, you know, and even, even our church, which I, I love our church, but it is, it is, it is a mega church. That's, that's what it is with all the trappings of a mega church. And, and it fits just perfectly right there in the middle of the, the Metroplex, right? It's something very attractive to all the people around there. Well, you come out here and there's, you know, we live in a town with one stoplight. Um, we, we actually live about 10 miles south of town. So we, we live, we live on uh, 500 acres just in a, a house that we rent. So it's, it's a ranch and um, there's, there's really no one around. And then when we do go to town, there's just, it's a small town. Um, and it's so different. It's, it's the antithesis of, of the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. So, um, but obviously there's a lot of things that they like about this place too, you know? Um, but I, I think, I think their heads are spinning. I mean, I, I think it's getting a lot better, but, but they've, they've struggled. And, um, and, and we all have kind of, you know, to make, make the adjustment from big city life to, to small town. And so, but it's been good. It's been really good. So uh, your, uh, your call to Native Americans, to that kind of context, was that connected directly with South Dakota and the Lakota people? Did it come that clearly as to that that uh, that audience, uh, that people group? Yeah. So the connection there that we were always aware of, but didn't really think much of um, as we were seeking the Lord um, for a calling back out onto the mission field is that Katie is my wife is is Lakota. Her mother. Um, is Lakota. Her mother is a registered tribal member uh, at, with the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe in, in North Dakota. Her mother's maiden name is Gray Bar, but it was originally Gray Bear. And the family changed it to from Gray Bear to Gray Bar so that they would fit in better uh, in society and have an easier time getting job, a job or something like that in, when they moved to St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, so that's, that's the connection there with the Lakota people. Now, my wife grew up, um, in small town, Minnesota, white culture, you know, like everybody's, everybody's Lutheran, everybody's a farmer or associated with the agricultural industry, small, small town, uh, every, everybody's white. Um, but the family, her family adopted, uh, four native American kids and the family really tried hard to keep the kids connected to to that part of their heritage so they would go to powwows and and stuff like that in the summer um katie's uncles some of them i think have lived on on the reservation at standing rock and um so there there is a still a, a, a fairly strong connection 
in that family to to their Native American heritage. So that's really interesting. Uh, that kind of background that where you ended up is somehow within who you are as a person and uh, and as a family, and uh, and that only slowly comes to the front as as a possible destination as a, as where to go. How how do you how do your how does your family participate? You say at the beginning of our conversation here that you're here to make disciples. Uh, you know, and we've talked about this being unique. You know, usually we're talking to somebody that's, that has a starting a church and their family's part of church, and so it's kind of normal. I say normal. What they've experienced before is not completely out of the ballpark of what they're experiencing now. It sounds like, in some ways, what you're experiencing now as a family is very different than what you experienced before as a family in terms of church. How does, uh, how does your family go about in the practice of making disciples? Yeah. So, um, as far as the Lakota people are concerned, all of our work with them thus far has been, has been limited. So don't, I don't have a lot of relationships there, but I have, key relationships all the relationships that i have with lakota people i'm i'm like 100 certain like these are the people that god wants me to be in a relationship with um covid was pretty limiting right so everywhere in the u.s uh there were restrictions throughout the covid pandemic uh and and there were a lot of restrictions in particular on on reservations and uh, like like Pine Ridge, where we uh, work. And so uh, I couldn't really even go there. And then I couldn't take my family there for sure. Um, and then too, it's, it's, it's very isolated. There's not a lot going on there. Um, you know, for, as far as like an outsider is concerned, there's, there's a lot going on there. If you live there, you know, you'd have kids in school and you'd be involved in different things and uh, you'd, you'd work there or whatever. And so, but, but if you're not from there, like there's just, there's like gas station, some, a few restaurants you could stop at and there's just not, there's not a lot to do. So, um, so that's, that's one of the things that has kind of too, you know, kept us from, from as a family spending a lot of time there. I have spent a lot of time there. My wife has as well um, over the last couple of years. But um, so making disciples uh, here among the Lakota has been a very slow process. Um, but but just being a light and a witness and getting involved in the community that, that God has placed us in here in Hot Springs, uh, which is off the reservation a little ways, um, yeah, like, like we're encouraging each other to, uh, to engage here with, with the people that we're around every day, like my kids and their friends at school and, uh, church and other people in the community for sure. That's good. How, just kind of going back to connecting with Mission Alive, how did Mission Alive help you discern or equip you for, uh, your, you're calling your church plan, if we want to call it that, what your what your mission is. Yeah, Mission Alive has a great vetting process. And and the vetting process really is 
I mean, it is what it is. Like, like they're trying to determine if, if, um, if, if we're being called by God and then if, whether or not God's calling us and, and mission alive to come and, and work together. Um, but it's also like an extremely encouraging process and where I, I just, yeah, I kind of felt like Charles Kaiser and, and Todd, um, were there to kind of basically disciple Katie and I through this process. Um, and then through that also, you know, I, I started to get involved with Galen and Becky Van Rienen, that, that relationship developed. Um, so they, they've discipled us uh, through this process and, and continue to do so. So I'm, I'm still involved in, in uh, ongoing training with, with Mission Alive here. So Blake, I think you and I are probably the, the newest church planners within the Mission Alive family. And so so the this next question is it kind of blends in with the one Stephen just asked. But how does Mission Alive continue to help you on your journey as a church planter or a disciple maker? How do you continue to interface with them? Okay, uh, a lot of it is is just dialogue, reading and dialogue with uh, with Todd and then uh, participating in discipleship cohorts. Um, so, so there's that. And that's, that's a lot. Like that's, that's really helpful. Todd is also on our board of directors um, for Peace Initiative, which is the name of our, our work here in South Dakota. Um, but I, like Mission Alive's roots are, are really in, in foreign missions, right? Like Galen and uh, Becky Van Rienen worked in uh, Uganda and then Kenya, Northern Kenya, I think for um, 13, 14 years. And, and so, uh, and then Galen has written the book on, on uh, animistic cultures basically. And uh, he's written a couple. Um, and that's, that's really where we find ourselves is, is working amongst an animistic tribal group that thinks like and sees the world more like the like Afri like an African tribal group um, than they do uh, like, like you and I just just um, average um, Western people Americans so, so that has been huge. Uh, Todd Vote too, um, got his start, cut his teeth in ministry working in West Africa, also amongst uh, an, an animistic tribal group. So, so that part of, of the story and us getting involved with Mission Alive, I mean, God, God knew that, God knew what we would need and, and God paired us, even though we're, we're here in, in the US, doing church planning in the U.S., uh, God, God paired us with an organization and with people that, um, that could help us like specifically uh, work with and connect with um, animistic tribal people. So, Yeah, that's fascinating. And I like how you describe yourself in this interview as a disciple maker. Uh, we've been visiting with Blake Birchfield today, a disciple maker in South Dakota. And this has been part one of that conversation as we 
talk in part two, we'll be talking a lot more about discipleship and the framework that, that Blake tries to use for that. Thank you for listening to part one. We'll look forward to having you tune in for part two. to this discipleship conversation. We invite you to share this episode and tune in next time for another conversation. We also invite you to subscribe and rate the podcast through your favorite podcast app. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments and questions to media at missionalive.org. Check out the episode show notes and learn more about the podcast and other Mission Alive media resources at missionalive.org media. Intro and outro music is by audionautics.com. Mission Alive works to bring about the holistic transformation of marginalized communities through starting and renewing innovative churches that address the most challenging issues faced by their neighbors. Learn more about what we do and how to connect at missionalive.org.